Uh, if you have your Bible, would you open it with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2? If you need a Bible, our ushers have Bibles and we'd love to get one into your hand. Just raise up your hand and they'll get one into your hand. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, as my custom is, is to fill, when I fill in for art, is to uh, pick up where I taught last, but this time it wasn't a year ago. It was uh, two weeks ago, I think. And so we're, we're picking it up in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we'll be picking it up in verse 3 and going through verse 13. 2 Timothy is a book written by the Apostle Paul uh, to his young protege, Timothy, although at this point uh, he's probably not uh, young in terms of years, just younger than, than Paul, uh, as this is written at the end of Paul's life, uh, written to Timothy in uh, somewhat of a passing on of the baton uh, from uh, one pastor to another uh, so that he would continue on the mission that God had given to Paul, that Paul is now commissioning Timothy. In First Timothy, where Paul was writing his first letter, it was a lot about how things should be run in the church. In this second letter to Timothy, Paul's main concern is about the character and conduct of the pastor himself. Uh, what kind of man ought a pastor to be? Uh, earlier in uh, 2 Timothy, Paul encouraged Timothy to join him in the suffering for the gospel, uh, which is an unusual invitation. Uh, I sent out birthday invitations and lots of people responded and came. Uh, I'm not sure if I sent you an invitation. Hey, come suffer with me. Uh, if we had a sign up in the foyer for suffering, uh, if anybody would sign up for that, um, it would be rather odd to do that. Um, but what Paul has to say about that is signing up for uh, serving the Lord means that there's going to be suffering involved. And not all suffering uh, is bad in the sense that some we, we know this to be true in the same sense that we know that uh, the suffering associated with things like diet and exercise and studying if you're a student, they all have positive results in the end, but that doesn't make them easier in the, in the beginning. Uh, but some good things come as a result of some hard things. And that's all that Paul was telling Timothy is that I'm inviting you to this, but it's an invitation to suffering. Uh, last time we were together, uh, two weeks ago when we were looking at the next section, Paul was encouraging Timothy to hold on to the gospel and the message of the gospel and to not only uh, hold it, but to keep it, and not only to keep it, but to commit it to those who would come after him, uh, that there would be a, a changing of the guard. Uh, the messengers would change, but the message would remain the same. And today we pick it up after that. Uh, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Uh, we're gonna read 2 Timothy chapter two. Uh, we're going to actually back up a verse to verse 2 to kind of get some of the context before we read through the rest of it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlists, enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must, also, uh, must, first, uh, must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ 
of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I also suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, uh, which speaks so clearly to each one of us. We pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding this morning, Lord, that we may see the wonderful truths that are right there. Lord, we ask that you would speak to each one of us here this morning and within the sound of my voice, Lord, the things that we need to hear. Lord, sharpen our minds and soften our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, Paul was writing this at the end of his life, and the, the tone with which he's writing it comes out the clearest in uh, the last uh, chapter in verse uh, sorry, I had it written down and apparently I didn't write it down all the way. And in chapter four, he, he says the end, uh, the end of his race is coming. My, the time of my departure is at hand. And uh, I'm not sure if you've ever uh, been a part of a, a job or um, at work that you were really uh, caring about and you were really interested in seeing it succeed and then you couldn't be a part of that anymore. Uh, it was your last day on the job, but you wanted the next people to be successful in it. Uh, and so you were just, you would pour out your heart with the concerns and the lessons that you had learned up till that point. Um, I can remember the first time uh, my wife and I uh, went on a date after our firstborn <laughs> and giving our baby to uh, her mom, or my, it was one of our moms, and we we're like, here's the list of all the things you need to know. We're going to Taco Bell. We'll be right back. <laughs> we're not going to be, but like the list and that we gave was not just, here's the things you need to do to do okay. We weren't, we weren't concerned about doing okay. We wanted grand success. <laughs> we wanted great care um, because of the care that we had for this person. And Paul is doing the same with the ministry that the Lord had given to him. It was time for him to clock out. <laughs> it was time for him uh, to pass on the ministry. Um, but that, that didn't mean his heart was any less for that ministry. Uh, his heart was probably more full at the end than it was at the beginning. And uh, the difficulty with which he was having to give this is expressed throughout this letter. Uh, his heartfelt concern uh, for the success of Timothy and for the success of those after Timothy. And by virtue of the fact that we're here in Valley Springs in 2001, it was successful, <laughs> right? Paul wrote this while in a hole in the ground in Rome. And now we have it in English over here in Valley Springs. And so the concern with it, which he expressed uh, was received in that same way. Timothy had the same heart for ministry as Paul did. And Paul is pouring out things that I'm sure Timothy had heard before, but Paul felt as if Timothy needed to hear again. If you're taking notes this morning, the, the sermon title I've given to this is 
Uh, fruitfulness flows from faithfulness. Fruitfulness flows from faithfulness. The, the first and uh, consistent theme of this faithfulness is measured by a, another word that will be repeated throughout uh, this section of scripture, which is the word endure. Uh, notice with me that Paul encourages Timothy that he must endure. Look again at verse 3. You, therefore, must endure hardship. What Paul had just commanded Timothy in committing the things that Timothy had learned to faithful men, in order to be successful in that job, Paul gives three analogies, three metaphors for what this job role is going to look like if it's going to be successful. Um, but they all have this one thing in common. It will require endurance through hardship. It's not hard to endure uh, a vacation, uh, but it is hard to endure, uh, you know, when work is not just regular, but extra. Uh, this last couple of weeks has been a little extra for me and my household. Um, a couple weeks ago, we did vacation Bible school, uh, which was a responsibility of mine to lead and organize and uh, we had a lot of kids here. We had a whole lot of volunteers, and it was a great success, but a lot of work requiring endurance for all involved. At the same time, the week before Vacation Bible School happened, uh, we were doing inventory at my work, um, which is a once-a-year event, and I use the word purposefully event, uh, that requires lots of preparation and execution and uh, just a lot of the regular amount of work plus more. Uh, children's ministry, regular amount of work, Vacation Bible School plus more. Tomorrow is the first day of homeschooling for uh, our oldest son, for my wife and I, which is the regular amount of parenting plus more. <laughs> so the way I was describing it to uh, anybody who is willing to listen, and I, how I get to, to tell you because I've got your attention now, is uh, I, I'm busy at work, I'm busy at church, and I'm busy at home. I could use just an extra eight hours at each of those. It would be nice, which is an extra 24 hours if you do the math. Um, and it requires endurance for each one of those things. And what Paul is saying is that in this kind of ministry that Timothy is called to in particular, but it's, this is true for every believer and what God has called you to do, uh, is it's going to require endurance through the hard times, through the times that will require extra of you. And that extra is not going to come from you. It's going to come from the Lord. And he says, again, you... Therefore, must endure hardship. And then the first analogy that he gives, the first metaphor that he presents is as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlists, enlisted him as a soldier. This is a favorite metaphor of Paul. I'm not sure if it's because he was, you know, your average guy and he liked military things, or if it's because he spent so much time chained to a Roman guard that as he was writing his letters, he was like, I can use that <laughs> as, as his analogy or as, as his picture of uh, different acts of faithfulness, or in this case, a call to endurance. Uh, but the specific that he gives here of all of the things that he could draw out from the life of uh, those in military service is the focus that a military man has while he's engaged in uh, his enlistment. Notice what he says there in verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. 
the focus that the soldier has isn't gained because he's stating you know, what it is that he's trying to do. He gains his focus here uh, by stating what he intends to neglect. Uh, I am not going to be distracted by that so I can accomplish this. Uh, that kind of focus is what was needed for me to accomplish my inventory, <laughs> which was uh, like, okay, there's a hundred things I can do, but what are the th three things I need to do? And I need to intentionally neglect these things in order to accomplish these other things that are really the priority, that are really the important things. Uh, the picture that came to my mind just in our day and age, this wouldn't be uh, a struggle for the Roman guard uh, currently chained to Paul as he was writing this letter, uh, but it would be like if there was a firefight where people are shooting at each other and in the middle of that uh, combat engagement, uh, the soldier pulled out his phone to check, to check the status of a post he did on Facebook in the middle of that. That's just not wise, first of all. <laughs> but he's intentionally neglecting that aspect of life <laughs> so that he may be fully engaged in what he's engaged in. Uh, not only because his life depends on it, but because... Uh, whether or not he's successful, that'll impact other people's lives as well, right? And so the, the, the two words that stand out to me are engaged in warfare. The assumption for Paul is that Timothy is going to be engaged, but his concern is the kind of engagement that he has, unentangled engagement. Uh, the word there for entangled is using of like a net to grab and pull away from where something was at. And the, the, the net here that's pulling away isn't something that's bad or sinful all by itself. Uh, for uh, civilians, it's not wrong to live like a civilian. But for a soldier, it's inappropriate to live like a civilian when engaged in warfare. It's not that they don't have the rights, but they've laid down those rights so that they may take up what they've been called to do. The affairs of this life are not sinful in it of themselves, but they can be a distraction from that fruitfulness in life. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, um, but it bears repeating here, uh, the parable of the sower and the seed, where Jesus describes uh, the conditions of different people's hearts as if it were soil. Um, and so the first soil is hard ground, uh, like packed clay, you throw seeds on it, and all that's going to do is feed the birds. Uh, the seed does not go in at all, so there's a gospel message that goes out, and the person doesn't even hear it. The second seed that goes out, it's soft ground, but stony, also known as calaveras soil, <laughs> where we have like this much topsoil and then rocks <laughs> until it gets to the hard pan. And so uh, it will take that seed and grow immediately, but like a, a weed in the parking lot, it will spring up, but as soon as that summer heat kicks in, it fades away. And the reason is, is because it has no root. Uh, Jesus interprets that as, as somebody who has uh, excitement for the gospel message until it costs them something, and then what they turn for hope is not Christ, is some other hope, and some other comfort. The last soil uh, is not stony, but uh, filled with weeds, uh, which is somewhat like my backyard. I'm not sure what yours looks like, but uh, I've got that in my backyard. And uh, what that does is it doesn't keep it from living. It just keeps it from producing fruit. Uh, and the reason why I bring all of this up is because how Jesus interprets what those weeds are. 
Uh, Jesus interprets those weeds as the cares of this life. The, the thing that keeps faithfulness from producing fruitfulness in some lives is the cares of this life. Uh, Jesus gives a few things, but he mentions finances and you know the things that we own and possess, and they've got the attention and the focus that really belongs to God alone. And the, that shift in focus. So whereas the, the previous soil with the, the hard and stony ground was unfruitful because of the hard times, the hard times drove them from the Lord rather than driving them to the Lord, looking to the Lord for hope and the roots going down. It wasn't the hard times that kept them from faithfulness. It was the good times. It was that extra paycheck that they just needed to spend instead of being in fellowship. <laughs> and they're spending it on themselves without thought to how God might want you to spend it. It was, ironically, the blessings of God that kept the blessings of God from flowing through you. They became the focus. And what Paul is pointing out here with the soldier is that he's determined beforehand to intentionally neglect the things that would keep him from being faithful and fruitful in the calling that he answered. Note the relationship. He's going to point out relationships here in each of these analogies, but notice the relationship that he uh, says there at the end of verse 4. He does all of these things that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. He doesn't do it for his own pleasure. <laughs> he does it for the pleasure of the one who's enlisted him because that's why he answered the call, wasn't it? Because it, this was going to be fun and easy. I'm always suspicious of diet and exercise programs that are advertised as fun and easy. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> this sounds like a get-rich scheme program for my body. <laughs> I'm interested, but I'm full of doubt, right? Paul is saying in this analogy that for the believer who's committed to the call that God has called them to, that when they do it, they're willfully engaging, not fleeing from, not even necessarily seeking out hardship, but when the hardship comes, working through it. When I was in high school, I, I ran track, and I had a, a, an amazing track coach. He actually ran in the Olympic trials for a, a marathon, in fact, I didn't find out until I was on a 10-mile run with him. He was like in his late 40s on a 10-mile run with a 17-year-old and kicking my butt in the process. <laughs> and I was like, this makes sense. You're an Olympic athlete, and I'm a high schooler. <laughs> um, but he would put us through workouts that I'm pretty sure was going to kill us. And then he'd be like, I'll see you tomorrow. And like, if I don't die, between now and then, I will also see you tomorrow. But I was willingly submitting myself to him and he was drawing out the best from me so that I would be the best that I could be in what I was doing. And what God has called you to is not going to be easy, but it's going to draw out from you all that he created you to be. Uh, and the way you think about what God has called you to is important. Choosing beforehand to intentionally neglect something so you can be faithful to what God has called you to is going to be necessary at some time so that you can live a life that's pleasing to him. And that ought to be the desire of our heart 
in relationship to God and the things that he's called us to. It's not because we enjoy hardship, but we enjoy living lives that are pleasing to the Lord. His next picture, verse 5, is one of an athlete. So if a soldier is focused, an athlete is disciplined. And also, verse 5, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It seems pretty straightforward uh, that the athletics that he was referring to then are the kind of athletics that you might see on TV right now. Uh, The Olympics were around when Paul was around, and they had rules uh, with the Olympics even then. To compete in the Olympics in Paul's day, you had to basically sign a waiver saying that you had been training for the last 10 months before you could compete. That was one of the rules. (laughs) They have rules now in our Olympics today. And the reason why they're there is not to be burdensome, but to level the playing field, if you would. But if you're going to be crowned, if there's going to be a receiving of a crown, it will only only be because uh, the athlete is both knowledgeable of the rules and willfully submits to them. Like, I'm going to do this, but not my own way. Uh, It'd be like if you're like, ah, you know, I want to run a marathon, but, you know, I'm not really in that great shape. I think I'll just, uh, I'll take this moped and I'll just drive the whole thing and I'll just make up my own rules as I go along. <laughs> uh, you're not going to receive a crown for, for driving 26.2 miles <laughs> in, on a Vespa because that, 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 that's how you want to do it. There, there's a willful submission to the uh, referees, if you would, uh, and the rules that were laid out beforehand. And for someone to be crowned, it's only because they have... S- knowledge of those rules, but then willfully submit to them. Uh, And there are some believers who, they're not new believers, uh, but they're not necessarily maturing believers either. And what I mean by that is they know what God wants them to do, and they've said something like this to themselves. God knows where I'm at, and with me, I know what God wants, but I'm not going to do that because X, Y, and Z. And they're willfully walking in disobedience. They know what the rule is, but they're not willfully submitting themselves to doing the Christian life God's way. God, I know you want me to be, you know, work as unto you at work. But you know how they are there, and so I don't have to. Well, that's not what God says. That's not a life that God can bless. That's not going to bring a crown (laughs) in the end because the competition wasn't according to the rules. The relationship here is uh, the crowning experience. There's, because there was this submission in the competition, there's going to be a crowning because you were knowledgeable of how it was supposed to be done and submitted to those willfully. You didn't just do it your way because you wanted to do it your way because it was easier your way. Uh, I'm not all that great at soccer, but if I was playing soccer and I'm like, man, that goalie gets to use his hands, I want to use my hands too, and I just pick up the ball and throw it (laughs) into the goal, uh, nobody's going to count that as a goal. That's not how the game is played. There can be no victory unless there's that submission to those rules. Uh, Paul will say later on that unlike the Olympic races where there's only one winner, and Paul says later on in this book in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, there is a race for you to run that God has laid out for only you to run. All you have to do is finish the race. There was one track competition I was a part of where, uh, as a team, we were scoring points, and the very last event of the day was a, uh, a relay race, uh, a four by 400 relay race. Everybody runs one lap, they pass the baton, and we were going to win, and all we had to do was finish the race. The other team that we were competing against didn't have a team to run that race. We could have run that race as slow as we wanted, set a school record for the slowest 4x400 race, and we would have still been victorious if we passed the batons. Uh, we did not successfully complete that race as a team. They were trying too hard and were too reckless and were trying to go too fast and ended up disqualifying themselves, and we ended up tying because we just didn't finish the race. There can't be victory unless there's competing according to the rules. And we can disqualify ourselves in that way. Last but certainly not least, the, the last analogy, if the, the soldier is focused and the athlete is disciplined, uh, the last analogy, the last metaphor presented by Paul is a farmer in verse 6. And the farmer, in him we see perseverance. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So this last analogy that Paul has in his mind uh, is not just a farmer, but the hardworking farmer. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything other than a hardworking farmer. I've not met a farmer who is not also hardworking. Um, I think a, a non-hardworking farmer is either retired or unemployed. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Uh, all of the farmers I know are ex exceptionally hardworking. Uh, one of my friends who whose dad owned a large farm up in Oregon, uh, talked to me about their normal Sunday morning routine. All of the same chores needed to happen, and they would get up at four in the morning on Sunday so that they could do all of those and then go to church and take a shower beforehand so they didn't smell like the farm when they came in. And then after church, they completed the rest of their duties for the day and then enjoyed the rest after that. And I was like, wow, and that was your day of rest. All right. There are, I don't think there's, like I said, a non-hardworking farmer, but in their patience and perseverance, uh, which is hard for little ones to understand. I'm not sure if you've ever tried to plant a lima bean seed with like a four-year-old, uh, but as soon as they put it in the dirt and they water it, they're waiting for it to spread up. Like, that's not how it works. You need to be patient. And then you also need to perse persevere in doing what's right because fruitfulness will come <laughs> with faithfulness, perseverance, and keep on doing what you keep on doing. Uh, the Bible says, uh, do not be deceived. Uh, God is not mock. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. This is true in life uh, as well as it is in our spiritual life. But what Paul is saying here is, note the relationship, is that he's the first to partake of the crop. Now, Paul does use this analogy in other places in Scripture to describe uh, pastors um, having the right to be financially supported, but I don't think that's his focus here. I think Paul's focus here is that... Um, He should know the blessing of the message he is about to give to others first. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever taught a Bible study or taught 
in children's ministry, um, but or even just taught something at work, uh, a skill or a job, but you always end up knowing more about that job than you're able to communicate <laughs> in that short period of time because you've taken the time to learn it so uh, enough to be able to share it with others. And I'm, I'm convinced, at least for myself, this is why some pastors are called to be pastors, so that we would study the word more because we need that extra attention. <laughs> and I speak for myself in this regard, but it's like I, I know that God has called me to this in part because he needs me to be tied to this word, and he needs all of you to hold me accountable to that. <laughs> and uh, it's both my joy and privilege, as well as my responsibility to do that for you, but I'm also, I was enjoying this message last night till about one o'clock in the morning when I fell asleep on my couch, <laughs> but I was enjoying studying through this and just seeing all that God was saying, and, and I have the privilege of sharing that with you, and I'm the first, if you would, to partake of the fruit of the work that I'm doing uh, but there's, just like a farmer, if he's doing his job right, there, he's going to raise up more cr uh, in a crop than he could ever possibly consume himself. And when he's faithful in what he's doing, it is not only a blessing to him, it will be a blessing to him first, but it's also a blessing for everyone else. And the way you can get this wrong, if you are in ministry and you are serving, uh, the analogy I give is, is something I've seen firsthand, is people who are working in a kitchen who have not gone on their lunch break. And they're just starving while they're serving other people food. <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense. You should be the first to be able to partake of all of this food that's right in front of you. Um, but it is possible to be laboring, serving the Lord while starving yourself spiritually and serving others spiritually. And it's a shame when it happens. And what Paul is reminding Timothy is don't neglect your own spiritual needs in this. Be the first to partake in hearing what God has to say and then encourage others to hear what God has to say. <laughs> Feed them with the food that you got first. And so in each of these cases, uh, the, the soldier who stops fighting before the battle is finished will never see victory. The athlete who stops running the race before, uh, before the race is over will never win the race. And the farmer who stops working before the harvest is complete will never see the fruit of his crops. In each case, the fruitfulness of the ministry flows from the faithfulness in the meantime. And Paul is encouraging him to endure in his faithfulness. And he gives him these three analogies. And in verse 7, he gives Timothy homework. He gives us homework too. Uh, so it's the same homework assignment. Notice there in verse 7, he says two things that uh, we should do. We should both reflect and receive. Verse 7, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. The word there for consider can be translated a number of ways. Uh, can be consider, uh, could be translated understand, think over, or reflect on. Uh, if I think he had today's uh, technology available to us, it'd be like going into a, a virtual reality scenario in each one of these settings. So put yourself in the shoes of a soldier and just think about the sacrifice and the focus a soldier has and think about how that ought to apply to your walk with the Lord. And he's like, take time to think about that. Like, I know you're reading this now. I know you're hearing this now. But later on, just think about that as an analogy. Explore the analogy and what is their sacrifice look like? Why are they sacrificing? What are they doing with that sacrifice? 
Also think on the athlete. Also think on the, the farmer. But explore these things. Think on these things and just explore the metaphor, if you would. He's saying there's more here than I've just said. And your homework assignment, Timothy, is to think on these things. Consider what I'm saying. Reflect on it. Think it Think on it. Think it over and over. Think through it. So reflect on it. But then he adds to that, not just your own uh, endeavor to understand, uh, but he says to receive from the Lord, uh, second part of verse 7, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Uh, This is just generally good advice for any time you read your Bible. (laughs) Reflect and receive from the Lord what he has from you for you and what you just read and what you just heard. Uh, It's easy uh, in the world that we live in to go from this to the next and forget the last thing. I'm not sure if this has ever happened to you, but like I'll be scrolling on my phone on some social media, whatever, and I'll see something and I'm like, oh yeah. And I scroll a little bit and I think, I'm I'm sure it's only one thing up (laughs) and I wanted to show my wife it. I'm like, oh, hey, look at this. And I'm like, nope, it's not there. Nope, it's not there. Nope, it's not. I I forgot about everything that happened in between and it's like 20 things up. And, And we can do that same thing with what the word of the Lord is saying to each one of us. It's just, okay, I forgot that. This is the next thing. Okay, this is the next thing. This is the next thing. And I've, I've not given time to reflect on, to think over what God is saying to me. I haven't asked God to, to speak to me, to give me understanding of the things I've just read. Paul, again, encourages Timothy to endure. Verses 8 through 10, he reminds him it's of his own endurance. Paul says... I endure. Notice how he says he endures in verses 8 through 10. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer, suffer trouble as, a, as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may be able, uh, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. The first command that he gives there in verse 8 is to remember Jesus, which is something we'll be doing this morning in communion, specifically that Jesus is currently raised from the dead. There's a fear in the world that's been around since the beginning of the fall, which is the fear of death. It's somehow natural, and yet every time it happens, it feels unnatural, and there's a reason for that. When God made us, he didn't make us to die If it feels like a curse, if it feels like it's punishment, it's because it is. And the gospel, the message of the gospel, is that Jesus takes away the curse. He takes the sting of death away. Jesus died, but he's not dead. He is risen from the dead. The curse is taken away in Jesus. And for all who are in Christ, that curse and that sting and that punishment has been taken away. There is still appointed for each one of us a day to die, but we have a resurrection with Christ. We have eternal life because of Jesus. When Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, Jesus was the ultimate example of all of these things. Jesus was focused on pleasing the Father. He was disciplined and crowned by the Father, and he persevered and was the first to partake of the resurrection. Jesus is described as the first fruits of the resurrection, or, or the first one to be raised from the dead in the way that he was raised. There were other people who were raised from the dead, but not like Jesus. 
And he's called the first fruits because we're the fruit that came after. <laughs> and all of that was encouraging to Paul. Paul says, I endure as an evildoer or as somebody who is a criminal to the point of chains. And he says, I endure all of these things for the sake of the elect, which is an interesting thing that he's saying here because he defines the elect as those who are unsaved but called to be saved. He says, uh, for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What he's saying here is that I'm doing all of this, not only for the pleasure of God, but for the sake of those who are called to be saved, who have not yet been saved. And what a great joy that is. My favorite part about children's ministry, my favorite part about Vacation Bible School is being the first one to tell kids that God loves them and them understanding that for the first time, and that God counts them as special, and that he has a, a purpose and a plan for their life that's unique to them, that he wants to empower them and to, to pour out his spirit in so that they can thrive in this life in a way that's unique to them. Paul concludes what he's saying here, this endurance race, not only am, uh, is faithfulness expressed through Paul and his enduring, in the same way he's encouraging uh, Timothy to endure, he closes with a song uh, from his day. Uh, what comes next in uh, verses 11 through 13 reminds us that we may be faithful. Our faithfulness is only possible because he is always faithful. Notice what Paul says in verses 11 through 13. This is a faithful saying, for if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, notice he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Again, this little section, it may be formatted different than the whole rest of the letter in your Bible, and that's because most scholars agree that these words here were derived from an early Christian hymn, a song. So Paul in his letter is quoting a song here that's to the point of what he's saying. Uh, the connection here is that uh, endurance and faithfulness uh, are required for fruitfulness. Uh, in the endurance, uh, he had mentioned in verse Three, you must endure. Verse 10, he says, I endure. And here in the song in verse 12, if we endure, there is also a reward for that. We shall reign with him. Uh, he reminds Timothy back in verse 2 from our scripture reading that he must find men who are faithful men, not just men who are able, but faithful men, um, because faithfulness is required. And he says in verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Ultimately, the fruitfulness in our life isn't because of our faithfulness, it's because of God's faithfulness. Our faithfulness does not make God unfaithful to us. In fact, in the very instance when we're unfaithful, God is ready and willing to show himself faithful. Uh, the Christian bar of soap, or at least that's what my dad called this verse in 1 John 1, 9, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in the exact moment when we're both unfaithful and unjust, God is both faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us if we're willing to confess our sins. And that verse was not written to unbelievers. <laughs> that verse was written for believers. 
which means part of the normal Christian life is repentance and confession. There's going to be a time when you're unfaithful to what God has called you to. And the right response when you understand that is not making excuses for it or saying that God understands or the rules don't apply to you or that it really is a good idea to check your Facebook in the middle of a gunfight. (laughs) The right response is repentance. And God is faithful in the midst of our unfaithfulness so that our faithfulness can continue, so that there would be fruit in our life, which is only because our life is connected to him. And our lives would be the fruit of his life. I'd like to call uh, the worship team forward and the men forward. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to remember what God has done for us? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word to each one of us that fruitfulness from your perspective comes from faithfulness to the things you've called us to. And Lord, that ultimately... Uh, you're always faithful, and that as often as we fall short, Lord, we have the privilege and ability to repent because of your death on the cross. We thank you and we praise you for, for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.